Totally Football Show. Good Lord, it's hot. The sun is in full effect in London, but this time it's not Hyung Min making us suffer. It's the nearly perfectly spherical hot ball of burning plasma in the sky, which has us praying for Claudio Reyna. Anyway, heat wave or no heat wave, your TFS team will stop at nothing to bring you bang up to speed with all the latest happenings in the wide, wide world of football. Tabloid headline writers rejoice as Newcastle smash transfer record to get Joel in tune. Amper do, 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 pushing off to Germany. Some other players have moved clubs and it's absolutely massive news and some haven't but they might and frankly that's more than enough to make it into a pre-season pod in this totally football show in association with Paddy Power I'm Matt Davis-Adams, and yet they keep inviting me back. In the studio with me today, it's the whole hunk, or Hulk, if you will, Italian football expert James Horncastle. James, this is uh, textbook gelato weather. As uh-huh. a man who frequents Italy regularly, what was what, your go-to ice cream? What would you recommend for these kind of conditions? Ooh, that's a very good question. A sorbetto. Yeah, or, or a granita. That would be very good. I would probably go with stracciatella which is kind of like uh, vanilla chocolate, kind of chippy kind of thing. Pistacchio, pistachio for uh, English listeners, always very nice. I'm a big fan on the kind of coffee kind of stuff as well, sort of, uh, or um, fior di latte, something like that. There's some very good places just near our new studio mm. in Soho. Go to Gelupo, for example. They do some good ice cream. So... Um, I think we will, James. <laughs> I think we most definitely <laughs> will. Be very hungry now. Uh, the other voice you can hear there is the Bavarian Brainiac, all the way from Germany at one point in time, now all the way from like 15 minutes down the road, or given the weather, should that be down the roast? No, wait, road is correct. Hello, uh, Raphael <laughs> Hunningstein. It's way uh, too early for roasting jokes. <laughs> Your ice cream of choice, I'm guessing it's nut-based. It is. How did you guess? I, do, I don't know. I just see you as a kind of crushed nuts kind of guy on an ice cream. <laughs> Hazelnut. All right. Yeah. Not Chiola. Okay. Yeah. Not Chiola. Yeah. It's wonderful. What about you, Matt? I'd always go for two scoops, one fruit and then one like chocolate. So the fruit's yeah. like the palate cleanser at the end after you've had the okay. nice, nice chocolate. Good lemon sorbet. Yeah. Yeah. It goes a long like way. cream? Cream on top? Yeah. A bit of panna? Absolutely. No. Yeah. yeah. No? no oh, when on. it's good, Raph, it's good. No, no, no. Come on. No. Options. That's the main thing. <laughs> uh, mercifully, the new season is getting ever closer. It's been literally days since the last one finished. So we better get into today's big-ish news. Yo, Abby, hit this thing. You're listening to The Totally Furble Show in association with Paddy Power. Now there, Gareth Bale, you remember him, loves golf, hates integrating himself into the culture and lifestyle of a country in which he's lived for five years. Anyway, Zinedine Zidane doesn't have a personal problem with Bale. He just wants him to get as far away from Madrid as possible immediately. Bale making that as orcs as he can by not taking the hint slash scoring against Arsenal in America this week. For more on this situation, producer Abby caught up with our Spanish football expert, Alvaro Romeo. So Alvaro, bring us up to date. What is the latest from Spain on Gareth Bale? Well, there has been no new development since Jonathan Barnett said last Tuesday that Gareth Bale will not go on loan anywhere. Gareth Bale didn't start in the friendly game against Arsenal uh, last uh, Tuesday night, but he played the full second half, which is a progress uh, in the Zinedine Zidane-Gareth Bale relationship, as he didn't play a single minute against Bayern on Saturday night. In fact, Zinedine Zidane said uh, on Tuesday that Gareth Bale um, denied to put his football kit uh, before the Bayern Munich game. Well, that's a different story. Well, the truth is that Zinedine Zidane wants the player out, and as much as he blamed his bad Spanish when he said, I want him out, and if it is tomorrow, that would be better. 
the truth is that Zidane doesn't consider Gareth Bale as a key player of his squad. So I believe that as soon as Real Madrid receives a satisfactory offer for the player, and uh, an offer that Gareth Bale and Real Madrid will accept, then the player will leave very quickly because Zinedine Zidane and Real Madrid wants to move on and to prepare the season. Let's don't forget one thing now, that the Chinese market closes in a week and the Premier League transfer window closes uh, in about 16 days too. So the time goes against Zidane, definitely. But I am not too sure if time goes against Gareth Bale, especially if his intention is staying at Madrid despite not being the manager's favourite. Arsenal have just signed Danny Ceballos on loan. So why have Zidane let him go with Essencia injured? And what kind of player is he? I think that Zinedine Zidane likes Danny Ceballos, but he doesn't consider him a pivotal player of Real Madrid yet. They are getting a really good player. A player who is a good playmaker, uh, who's got a lot of endurance and the ability to take on players and scoring from set pieces. The problem with Danny Ceballos at Real Madrid has been... Uh, Real Madrid's irregularity and inconsistency over the last two years. Uh, Dani Ceballos has had three coaches in two years in a crucial stage for the player's development, which is the stage from the player being 20 years old until, until he is 22, 23 years old. So I believe that Dani Ceballos has a great opportunity. Ahead of him, Arsenal is lacking a lot of finesse in their midfield, and Dani Ceballos is going to make a really good contribution to Arsenal, I believe, and especially because Unai Emery likes the player as well, and he was personally asking for the player. There are some managers that really like Dani Ceballos. Uh, Zinedine Zidane, for example, never trusted him a lot, but Luis Enrique, the Spanish national coach uh, until last June, loved him to the point that uh, despite Ceballos not being playing for Real Madrid, Luis Enrique was still capping him for the Spanish national team. He's a good player, and I believe that Dani Ceballos is going to improve Arsenal's quality in midfield. Alvaro Romeo of Talksport International there. Um, what do we think, gents? Rafa, is this just a, a game of brinkmanship? And if so, who's going to win it? Bale and Barnett or Zidane and Perez? I think Bale's going to win this argument. There's very little a club can do to get rid of a player who does not want to leave and is in a bracket where it's very, very difficult to move him on, to even put him on loan, and uh, he flat out refuses. It's not unlike the Mesut Ozil situation, with the perhaps difference that Real Madrid and Zidane, certainly Zidane, seems to be more determined to get rid of him. I think Florentino Perez, from what I can understand, is slightly concerned and would like to see a slightly more conciliatory tone being adopted by Zidane, but Zidane seems to have, seems to have made of his mind that Bale is a negative influence, doesn't fit in and needs to move on now of course he can be frozen out but you can't actually physically get rid of him unless he agrees so I think it'd be very very difficult for Real Madrid to to move him on we hear about PSG and we hear about China and maybe even Spurs too is anybody in Italy remotely interested in taking him on whatever basis I think the financials of doing this deal unless Real Madrid makes some sacrifices and compromise it's very difficult Ultimately, it's their fault because if you give a player a long-term contract, he's still got three years left on his deal. He's earning, what, 17 million euro a year net. Uh, I think that's excluding bonuses as well. I think a lot of top clubs around Europe are finding themselves in the same position where they've often tied themselves to, um, to players, big fees, big contracts. And whether it comes to a player reaching the end of his cycle or they want to move that player on, it's proving very difficult. And I think this is part of the problem of the inflation we've seen in the transfer market. 
where yeah, these super clubs can maybe afford to sign these players, but when they need to move them on, the others can't. <laughs> so they're kind of they're kind of lumbered with this asset. We've had a tweet, which um, I was going to say for later when we were talking about Harry Maguire, but it seems pertinent now from that red haired dude who says with Zaha and Maguire potentially costing 75 million plus, do you think we'll start to see players insist on shorter contracts, two year deals, for example, so they can prevent clubs from charging high fees? That was something that would seem to work for Gareth Bale in this situation, but it's not realistic that clubs would ever accept that generally. Gareth Bale does not like a short deal. He wants to have a long deal. A player wants to have the security to be being paid. And clubs usually want the time to amortise the transfer fee. So um, not everyone knows this, but you know, let's say you buy a player for £50 million for five years. On the books, those £50 million will show up as a £10 million hit every year. So by the time those five years are up, the player has fully amortised his transfer fee. And basically then if you sell him on, that's a profit. Now, the shorter the, the contract is, the less time you have to write off that transfer fee. So it's almost impossible for a club, let alone the, the knock-on effect of not having any uh, resale value, but just to write off £75 million over two years is a massive financial hit. Nobody wants to do that. So there are, there are reasons on both sides why long contracts make sense. But of course, they shouldn't be given, I think, to players who approach their 30s, who have injury problems, who are perhaps not motivated enough to really seek new challenges. I think it's a completely different dynamic if you are, let's say, an important player for your national team and you have to be playing in the club. And if you are not involved, then you are fearful of missing out on the World Cup or on the Euros. Then the clubs who want to get rid of you, they have a bit of leverage. They can say, OK, you don't want to play. You know, we will help you, but you have to move on. But when it comes to some of the players we talked about, they have no incentive to to move towards the end of the contract and very few demand there's almost no market for them so I don't see that ever being a realistic possibility the only players who would accept short contracts are the ones who have to because they're very young and um, you know there isn't that much of a market for them but for for established players it's not going to happen also I think it's interesting with Madrid where they've sent players out on loan Galactico players hoping that the team that loans them will stump up and pay money. James Rodriguez. James being the main case in point, who's been on loan for two years now. And they've seen with James that, you know, Bayern haven't essentially ponied up. They've returned him to sender. And I suppose, yeah, there is an urgency for them to bring in bring in money, given the amount that, that they've spent and what they want to do in what remains of the market. But again, with Bale, I think that is a another stumbling block in terms of like, well, if we send him out on loan for a year or two, are we going to get a guarantee from that club that they're going to sign him and I think that's again that's not going to happen well, one team who aren't going to be signing Gareth Bale this summer at Chelsea I had the call for their magnificent triumph in the Rakuten Cup on Tuesday uh, Frankie's fellas does that work as a, as a moniker for them no I'm, I'm going to plow it's on a shame that they didn't go to LA for, for their tour because it could have been Frankie Costa Hollywood oh but, yes yeah. Very, well that's, that's next year's pre-season okay, tour fantastic uh, uh, nailed on so they picked up their first piece of silverware under the new boss uh, the prestigious trophy returning to Cobham with the squad after they beat Barcelona 2-1 at the Saitama Stadium Tammy Abraham Ross Barkley who's looked really good so far in pre-season got the goals Ivan Rakitic hit a beaut in stoppage time to half the deficit a listener James Check pointing out that my commentary of his goal made it onto Rakitic's Instagram story which is 
something I'm very excited about and stick around till the end of the pod. You'll find out why. It was Barca's first preseason game, Chelsea's fourth. You could tell the difference in terms of the fitness, but definitely some reasons for Chelsea supporters to be positive. Tammy Abraham taking his goal well. Christian Pulisic looking good in flashes. Some news lines coming out of Stamford Bridge this week. Uh, Raf, Ethan Ampadu going to RB Leipzig for this season. Maybe shades of Andreas Christensen here going to Gladbach. Team playing in the Champions League. Christensen won Player of the Year, I think, for Gladbach as well, didn't he? Came back and was seen as, as first team ready. How's, how's yeah, that move gone? Especially by Sarri. <laughs> yeah, quite. Um, how's Ampadu going to, to Leipzig gone down in Germany? Yeah, it's an interesting one. He's certainly created a bit of a, a wave in the slipstream of um, Jaden Sancho and Reese Nelson, even all the hype that surrounded the failed move, as it looks, for Kalamatsu Nodoy from Bayern. So there's perhaps slightly more attention and excitement than otherwise would have been for a, a young player coming over from the Premier League. But Leipzig have real quality. They have depth as well in his position. Uh, if you see him as a central midfielder, first and foremost, you have Tyler Adams, for example, who's coming in January and he's done absolutely tremendously well for uh, for Leipzig. US international, one of the best players really for Leipzig in the second half of the season. But I guess what they've told him is with us being in the Champions League and with Nagelsmann's tendency to switch a lot and to almost play two teams in both competitions, there will be enough uh, space for him there will be enough game time for him and I think what is smart on his behalf is that he would have hopefully uh, been advised and seen that Nagelsmann has a habit of coaching and really making players better I mean Serge Gnabry for example credits Nagelsmann for all the improvement that he's made not he was Tony a, Pulis not Tony Pulis, <laughs> Tony Pulis. He's, he was a lost player who really had to resurrect his career and Nagelsmann came along and really made made a huge difference for him I think um, Ampadu as you say, we were playing in midfield. He, he played right back. Yeah, <laughs> he played. Oh, bless him! He had to play right back one game last season. It was difficult, but he. I think there must have been some assurances that he will play more games than he doesn't, because the reason he's not staying at Chelsea is because he hasn't had a full season because of fitness issues that he's had over the last couple of years, and that's why they're sending him out. So you'll assume he'd be playing more often than not. If he is, James, he'd be playing with Adam Ola Luckman, who this morning has confirmed his move to RB Leipzig. For Lookman, this is an upgrade, isn't it? He's going to the third best team in Germany and he'll be playing in the Champions League next season. It's understandable given how successful certain players have been, but we're seeing it more and more this in this window and it's not just limited to players of a young age who are developing. You look at Kieran Trippi going to Atletico Madrid, for example, that English players finally kind of uh, appreciating that the world is very small and they don't have to limit their development or their playing time to, to the Premier League. So, yeah, I think, again... A reason to watch the Bundesliga, Raf. <laughs> one of many. What one player who doesn't look like he'll be there is Callum Hudson Odoi, who's either signing or has signed a hundred grand a week contract to stay at Chelsea. Bayern, no doubt, will say that's because of the player's injury. Is is that what you believe? To no, be no, it's got nothing to do with the injury. Bayern were still committed to to make this happen, and uh, it was reported and not not really denied, vociferously that he even had a sort of a medical or at least some kind of assessment. Uh, in Germany by the famous Dr. Müller Wolfert, who looks after everyone, uh, including Usain Bolt, etc. Pep loves him. Uh, Pep does not love him, for, <laughs> for those who <laughs> might take James at face value, which you rarely should do. Um, it's really a, uh, an embarrassment for Bayern, first and foremost, because they were trying to do what Dortmund do so well, which is to take a player that's a little bit under the radar, who perhaps, for whatever reason, doesn't quite get the game time they deserve, and get in ahead of his big jump up in development and then you know you buy a player for 30 40 and suddenly after a season or two he's worth double that was the idea 
And they were so afraid after missing out on Jaden Sancho, who had an offer from Bayern but chose Dortmund, that they would miss out on the next big English young player, that they really pushed this. But they did it in a very clumsy way. As you know, they started talking about him. They thought this would help uh, make the move come to fruition. This would perhaps increase the pressure on Chelsea to sell. But I think they misjudged completely Chelsea's reaction and the sensitivity to the crowd and to the fans and to the idea that, you know, there's another English player leaving and they're bringing Christian Pulisic at the same time. How, how does that sit with Chelsea? How does that sit with what the Premier League do when it comes to young English players? So... From his point of view, you have to say he played it beautifully. He managed to leverage Bayern's interest, uh, put pressure on Sarri, and now will find himself with a much improved deal, which otherwise probably wouldn't have been on the table to that extent um, because he refused to sign a new contract, I think, a year ago, which can't have been nearly as good as the one that is is now um, ready to be signed or has already been signed. So I think for Chelsea, it's, it's great news. And from a, from a Chelsea perspective, James, considering they've got a transfer ban, we, we yet see how these players will do next season, but they signed up Mason Mount, Ruben Loftus-Cheek and Hudson-Odoi and they managed to bring in Kovacic and they've got Pulisic. It's not a bad summer for a team who can't sign any players. Yeah, I think they've done pretty well. I mean, there was a time when it didn't look like they were going to be able to retain Hudson-Odoi. I think a lot of those young players who perhaps in the, in the past and even on the Sarri, questioned whether they had the future that they wanted at Chelsea have had their minds changed um, by the appointment that Chelsea have made with Frank Lampard experience of playing under Frank Lampard in some in, in some of the cases and it's a real opportunity for these guys you know we saw yeah, Spurs weren't acting under a, a transfer ban last summer but sometimes it can be really good for a, for a group for a team to have little or no change and a lot of stability and a lot of time to work under under a manager who has well clearly in Lampard's case, case a lot of faith in these players so I think it's it's actually turned out pretty well I'd be very excited about uh, Michu Bashwai returning I think he's completely underrated and if he rediscovers his touch and if he has players that play a little bit for him rather than trying to score themselves which has been sort of a you don't know what where cause and effect can be separated, but that's been a, a Chelsea issue in recent years. The goals have come often from wide positions from midfield. Is it because the striker is not good enough, or is it because you know that's how the, the players in those positions they tend to cut inside rather than look for the assist, etc. But I think he's a he's a wonderful player, and uh, if there's some kind of useful job share going on, um, I see Chelsea scoring enough goals. Uh, and of course, the beauty in inverted commas. You might have some short-term pain in the transfer market, but if you consider that you can keep those 100 million, maybe 120 million pounds that you otherwise would have spent, and then go and spend 250 next year, that'll probably make Chelsea one of the most powerful and most exciting buyers in the market. Yeah, be interesting to see they finish with Batshuayi and Giroud playing together against Barcelona, but they've mainly been playing 4-2-3-1 uh, other than that. Another player who's been linked with Chelsea, but, but mainly with Bayern, Rafa, is the Leverkusen midfielder Kai Havertz. Andrew Turner asking um, what's going to happen with him in the next 12 months. It's super interesting with Kai Havertz because everyone expected Bayern to make a big move for him, or at least kind of set the wheels in motion to get the move done for next year. Now they have of course, as you'd expect them have had lots of talks with his people They're trying to convince him, you know, Bayern is the right place for us, but because of their other 
issues which we have touched upon and maybe we'll go into a bit more detail later on it hasn't been a priority for them to sign that kind of player they need wide players they needed uh, new defenders they're still looking for a holding midfielder of some sort so he's not been a priority for him and I think there is perhaps talking to people around him, there's perhaps a slight sense of disappointment that Bayern haven't pushed harder for him and I think Bayern should not be too presumptuous that it's the natural destination for him the Chelsea link is real to the extent, I think, that Chelsea, before the transfer uh, ban kicked in, were keeping very close tabs on him, were talking to people close to the situation, and I think they were thinking, you know, is Sari potentially the right man for us? Of course, things have changed quite, <laughs> quite drastically since then, and we have to see what happens, you know, when it comes a, bit, a little bit closer. But I think that not just Chelsea, but... Uh, a number of Premier League teams who are willing to spend big, and we're talking about 100 million euros here for next summer, should not be put off by a sense that this is a foregone conclusion that he will go to Bayern. Because as far as I understand, the players is far more open than perhaps people expect them to be. All right, and while we're talking uh, players going from Germany to England, shock horror, Newcastle United have signed a striker for a club record £40 million Joel Linton, uh, they needed replacements for Rondon Perez and Hosselu. Is is Joel Linton how you pronounce his name first? Joel Linton, yeah. I mean, I'm not Brazilian, uh, Bavarian. Joel Linton. Yeah, something like that. I hesitate to go to the kind of ethnic, ethnic stereotypes of describing him as big and powerful and, and, and strong. But you're going to go there anyway, right? But <laughs> it's impossible to not say that he is physically a very imposing centre forward so and it's like a Rondon replacement then. that is part of his game yeah very similar um, similar type of player he can play wide in a sort of a wide striker role um, a little bit like Mandzukic for example played in the past quite effectively or even Dirk Coit, although he's maybe more prolific and uh, more of a, a real centre forward than him but he can have that versatility I think what he hasn't been so far is been entirely consistent when it comes to goal scoring uh, I looked at his numbers this morning. It's seven goals he scored last season, which was sort of his breakthrough season. And that equates to about one goal for every 300 minutes. So he needs to improve. He needs to get uh, get better service, perhaps. And this was in a very pretty good Hoffenheim team. So uh, one, or two, to Steve Bruce. one or two question marks. Well, exactly. Um, and what I would add is that the price and the excitement, I think, is partly a uh, function of his age because he is only 22. I think there's a reasonable assumption that, especially as a centre-forward, he will improve with the experience. He will benefit from being perhaps the main focal point of attack. At Hoffenheim, they would often change things around. Sometimes they would play with three strikers, sometimes with only one. He, because of his versatility, I think that sometimes worked against him a little bit because he was playing in, in different positions, even though he was... Normally, often a centre forward, he would then drop deep sometimes, the second striker, go into the channels. I think if you make him more sort of the main man, the guy that you want to feed, we will see more goals of him. Right, don't go too far, or if you do, make sure you've got headphones in. We'll be talking Ronaldo, Lukaku, Man City, and more once we've fulfilled our contractual commercial obligations. Paddy Power knows the very best way to sponsor a team is by unsponsoring them. That's why we're launching the Save Our Shirt campaign. And that's why Huddersfield Town's kit won't have our logo on it at all. Don't you wish we weren't on your shirt? Paddy Power. Save Our Shirt. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media.
It's the Totally Football Show with me, Matt Davis-Adams, James Horncastle and Rafa Honigstein. Now then, Romelu Lukaku into Milan. James Horncastle, how serious is this match made in heaven? It's very serious. Essentially, Lukaku changed representation uh, earlier in the year. That representation was all kind of set up to market him to Italy and get him to Italy. Agent involved has very good ties with Inter Milan. Number of players there. Been an intermediary in some of the other deals. So, you know, Raf probably knows more about Valentin Lazzaro, the uh, the to Berlin fullback, wingback who has moved to Inter this uh, this summer. You know, we already saw what back in April, Lukaku having a big sit down with Sky Italia to basically say how it all is always a dream of his to go and play in Italy one day, and uh, wouldn't that be great? So. Inter are very serious. Antonio Conte is very serious about signing him. He obviously wanted to sign him when he was at Chelsea, was unable to do that then. It looks very difficult for them to get this deal done, even though the player wants to go, Inter wants him, because Manchester United so far, their valuation of the player is markedly different from, from Inter's. United want around £83 million for him, which is more or less exactly what they paid Everton uh, for him, if not a little bit more. Whereas uh, Inter have, I think, have offered around 54 million with some add-ons to that. And I think there's a real feeling that they can't go any higher at this moment in time. Now, the interesting thing here is that uh, Inter have got a couple of players that they, well, at least a couple of players that they'd like to move on. The player that Lukaku would be place, uh, replacing, Mario Icardi, that has been very difficult. No one's gone near Icardi so far. Rajinay Ingalan as well. He's not part of Antonio Conte's project. And the club have come out and basically said this, which has obviously had an impact on those players' values in that you know, everyone knows they're up for sale. Everyone knows that Inter need to get rid of them. And so I don't think there's been official offers for either of them at the moment, but you could understand clubs lowballing Inter for them, saying, well, if you really want to get rid of them, we'll take him off your hands for this amount. And so that has left Lukaku kind of stranded at uh, United, injured uh, with an ankle <laughs> problem. He wants to go, and he wants to go to, to Inter, but uh, at the moment it looks like it's going to be very difficult to get that deal done. Is a loan with an option to buy an option? <laughs> so that is has been what Inter have put to, to United. I think it's a couple of weeks ago now, but their director of sport basically came over here met United's his counterparts at United at their offices in London. And, yeah, United for in- have a director of sport? No, United don't. They've got a chief executive at Inter do. But um, yeah, I think they're still looking for them. That was the brief when I was in, in, in Singapore. Still looking for a technical director. But yeah, Inter can only do this deal by loan for two or three years and stagger payments that way. And obviously a, a lot of um, bonuses, some easy for him to achieve, some difficult for him, him to achieve. But United standing firm, and I think they're standing firm in part because they also want to bring that kind of money in so they can maybe spend what Leicester want for a certain Harry Maguire as well um, because I think they know that City are interested in Maguire as well. So it's an impasse is is, is what we're looking at. But, but it's one thing standing firm if there are other clubs interested in the player, but there doesn't seem to be, does there? There's only Inter really, really in for Lukaku. So can they not just... Is this me being ridiculously logical, which doesn't work in football, say we'll give you the 50 million plus nine Galan and then everybody's happy? Look, I mean, I wonder if something will change between now and the end of the English transfer window in August 8th, because if, obviously if United want to use some of the money for another player, then this deal needs to happen. But uh, Inter kind of having to consider 
of the targets, although Antonio Conte, you know, there is only one player that he wants for that position, and that is Lukaku alongside Edin Dzeko, the other player that Inter are looking to sign for because they're going to be playing with two up front next year. So I think this is, at the moment, a bit of uh, brinksmanship. I wouldn't be surprised if United are attempting to, again, show off how good they are when it comes to negotiating these kind of sales, you know, in terms of look how much money we were able to get for a, a player who ended up being on the margins uh, and no longer part of the project. You look, we're excellent in the commercial department. We're excellent when it comes to bringing in money this way as well. But I think something's got to give. And I think Inter are hoping that United climb down. Any other Italian transfers or, or potential transfers we should be paying attention to? And we've seen Iguain playing for Juventus in pre-season. Is that just to, to keep him relatively fit or because he's actually going to play next season? That was amazing. I was in Singapore for um, to, to cover Juventus and Inter whilst they were out there. Higuain, he believes he has a future at Juventus. He wants to persuade the manager who... Yeah, if, if Maurizio Sarri was asked to choose a, a striker, he would probably always choose Gonzalo Higuain because of the year that they had together at, at Napoli. And that's encouraged Higuain to just like, if I give everything in training, if I score goals in these friendlies, I'll get to stick around. The club have a complete different idea on this. And uh, it was really interesting. I went out early to watch some of the warm-ups before Juventus' game against Spurs. And there was Higuain supposed to go on the walk around with the rest of the team instead on the sidelines with Juventus's sporting director Fabio Paratici where Paratici was quite animated talking to him in front of everyone for about 10 or 15 minutes don't know what they were talking about but you can surmise it was probably like come on Gonzalo just go to Roma go somewhere please just you know but in the end Higuain that day not only scored a goal but he, he wore the captain's armband as well but um, the club's position hasn't changed on that they want to get his wages off the off the payroll and uh, you know I think it's it's been complicated because you can see Higuain's gone from being a guy who broke a record in Italy that stood for 50 years well more than that a single season scoring record moves to Juventus for 90 million highest paid player in the league they sign Ronaldo move him on to Milan Milan after five months decide oh, it's too expensive and it's not going very well goes to Chelsea to work on the Sarri doesn't work out and now a lot of other clubs apart from Roma really are kind of like well we don't really we think he's a shadow of the player that he was a couple of years ago yeah he finds himself in a bit of a complicated situation I think he's probably going to have to accept I say accept Roma's a massive club going to going to Roma and while we're talking about Italian football, we should discuss the latest development in the Cristiano Ronaldo case. And it's that the Juventus and Portugal star will not face any sexual assault charges. Las Vegas prosecutors released a statement saying, based upon a review of information at this time, the allegations of sexual assault against Cristiano Ronaldo cannot be proved beyond reasonable doubt. Therefore, no charges will be forthcoming. Uh, it was the German publication Der Spiegel that first released the story back in 2018. I guess the first question is, what happens now? Is this, is this the end of it, Rafa? I don't think so. There's still a chance that a civil lawsuit that is being pursued by uh, Catherine Morgan against Cristiano Ronaldo has a chance of succeeding. In civil court, you only have to prove on the balance of probabilities, i.e. 51% and 49% that uh, the accusation is true, whereas um, I think Las Vegas police had very little option but to let this one go, simply saying that we will not be in a position to convince a jury, as from the prosecutor's point of view, that there is no doubt whatsoever on uh, on her version of events, simply because I think there is not enough corroborating, corroborating evidence to say there is no doubt, and this can be proven beyond reasonable doubt. Now, I would encourage everyone to read 
the original stories that the Spiegel did to see really her very in-depth version of events. And uh, I think it's a very, very difficult situation to handle for everyone involved. As an employer, you want to back your employee, especially if he has not been proven guilty in, in court. At the same time, I think if a normal person would be finding himself in a similar circumstances, he'd probably be suspended from his job until this matter is, is resolved one way or the other. Now, this doesn't happen with a valuable footballer because time is of the essence. They can't just now send him on gardening leave for two years. It's really complicated, I think, to go one way or the other on this. And even if you do, then you still have this this problem, which is increasingly a problem, I think, in football for fans and those in the media, which is to how to separate what happens off the pitch with appreciating and evaluating the performances of teams and of players. Does it matter where the money comes from? Does it matter what they do when they're off the pitch? Does it matter that uh, Ronaldo has admitted to tax evasion and has been already sentenced to prison, which is a suspended sentence? Very, very difficult and um, often feel as if the easy way out is to ignore all of that stuff, but it's perhaps not the right way of doing it. What's the reaction in Italy been, James? No uh, tasteful press release from Juventus this time? No. To be honest... Hasn't received an awful lot of coverage. I would say uh, in some of the papers it's been covering what was this week. I think the day of of, of the uh, the news coming out was the the Derby d'Italia between Juventus and Inter in Nanjing. Um, the opportunity for Conte and Sarri to play each other, come each other for the first time, and that's the dominant story on the on the sort of yeah, you know, be it on the kind of centerfold two-page spread, let's say. In in the sports papers, and you know, I think I wouldn't like to say that they've in the press they've wanted this story to go away, but that there I think Raf alluded to it there. There's been a considerable considerable amount of discomfort about having to, you know, how how do you toe this line? How do you tread this walk this line in terms of what you focus on? And it's and it, we've seen particularly when these allegations when Catherine Mayoga came out publicly rather uh, rather than because the Spiegel had been reporting about this for a couple of years and she was still anonymous at that time but when she came out publicly how partisan some of the papers were particularly one Turin sports paper Tutto Sport so I think they there has been an element of yeah this was a, this is a massive opportunity for Serie A to get the spotlight be able to sell this story essentially that Serie A's back because Ronaldo comes and there is there, there there's maybe this sense that okay now that's hopefully going away and um, you know I think that again just it's a it's it's not a particularly nice environment I think really for, for to, to 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 observe um, because I think those allegations need to be taken very seriously still still I share Raf's thought on going back and reading uh, everything that came out because you know ultimately yeah there are lots of questions I think we ask, have to ask ourselves as a society in this day and age as to how we go on about um covering these things. I would recommend an article that uh, Alex Morgan, uh, the US yeah. uh, international, posted the other day on Twitter on vice.com. It's by Brenda Elsie and Jennifer Doyle. Even if you don't agree with all the assumptions and conclusions that they come to, I think it's uh, really, really instructive reading. Well, we'll be talking more about Ronaldo and other rich footballers in just a moment. But first, it's that point of the show where I get to say producer Ben has been speaking with Paddy Power. Listeners, it's time to say hello to Lee Price from Paddy Power. Lee, Matt's been telling us about Chelsea's pre-season earlier on. Give us some numbers, please, on Chelsea 
uh, being the top club in London, but also perhaps losing their first three games. The odds aren't too bad. We, we do think Spurs will finish above them, clearly. Uh, but it's 7-4 to four that Chelsea finishes the top London club. By our odds, we make them fifth in the table come the end of the season. But believe it or not, and I'm not trying to be cruel, this has been a popular special, actually, this. Chelsea, to lose their first three Premier League matches is 50-1. to one. Obviously, the first game, United, is a knife edge, according to the betting. But Leicester and Norwich after that, you would expect them to win that. A long shot, we think. And finally, Lee, let's talk about the championship. And as will become apparent in the rest of the show, let's talk about Leeds. Can they finally get promoted this season? Yeah, the biggest club in the championship, according to their fans, and the biggest club in our betting. It's 6-4 to four Leeds go up this season. They're also the favourites to win the league. You'd expect them to, but that was true at the start of this year, and that didn't turn out great. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. All prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's 18 plus only. Be gambleaware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. Right, you know at the end of the news when Trevor McDonald used to say, and finally tonight, uh, well, this is that bit of the pod. No mixing up Kent and countryside with hilarious consequences here, though. Uh, as you've just heard with Lee Price, we asked about Leeds. Why is that? Well, because they've got their own version of Sunderland Till I Die, except it's all about Leeds. It's called Take Us Home, and it's on Amazon Prime. It'll be about their travels and travails from last season, which fans of the Totally Football League show, which is back next Wednesday, will know all about. They certainly weren't short of material, from Bielsa's bucket to how they flailed and failed to reach the Premier League. And one other thing I can't quite remember. Oh, yes, of course, <laughs> it's Spygate. Uh, what do you both think of these types of documentaries, Rafa? They, they, they tend to sort of rarely end well for the club, but can be quite amusing for everybody else. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think you have to look at each each one of them on their own merits. I think um, it'd be very interesting to see what kind of story arc is there and who is the hero and who's the villain in the piece, etc. There's also one on Dortmund coming out on Amazon as well, first week of August, I think. And uh, there's another one coming out which looks at um, football in a more broader context, but which kind of looks at Bayern and uh, Eintracht Frankfurt uh, in the prism of their uh, cup final a year ago. So loads of stuff unless it brings you sort of a bigger truth about the game about or humanity it is something that's very much directed at at the fans i know that leeds have have a huge following uh, in the uk but i think unless you're a leeds fan unless you're bielsa obsessive I'm not sure, you know, where the interest really lies. How many people are really, really going to watch it? Well, you need an element of, of jeopardy or sort of comic tragedy like you got with the Sunderland one, James, really, don't you? Because the Manchester City one just bored me to tears, frankly, but that Sunderland one was amazing. And you think having Bielsa in there, it gives you a nice lead character, if nothing else. Yeah, it should do. Yeah, it should be a fascinating character study um, to to be a fly on the wall on a Bielsa team. Absolutely. We often take for granted, I think, in this country that these documentaries are pitched at us in the UK. You know, who, if you're a Leeds fan of growing up, know everything about Leeds, follow the minutiae of Leeds, be it online or local paper or whatever. They're not. They're pitched at international audiences. And again, from my experience of just going on tour, you know, the amount of um, people you know you talk to in Singapore who just... Again, but they're United fans, Spurs fans. What they just want to consume anything, no matter how anodyne it is, about their team. You know, they want that kind of insight, even when for I don't know jaded people like us three. 
often doesn't really tell us <laughs> more than what we already know or, 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 or give us anything sort of interesting. So, but I'm sure that one, I'm sure it'll be, I'm sure it'll be gold. Gold. Just on the um, subject of international fans and audiences, etc. I don't know if you saw this, but at the Derby d'Italia, yeah, yeah. there were actually... Clashes? Clashes. Yeah. Between Chinese fans of Inter and Juve. This is how... Yeah. <laughs> globalized football has become because yeah inter fans from china because they were playing in nanjing which is where inter's owners suning are from and it was seen as uh, classic inter territory their second home essentially but Gazette- come to our turf <laughs> <laughs> gazetta was quite cheekily suggesting today that um the juventus fans outnumbered them in their own thing and the thing is inter fans had unfailed this banner saying juve always cheat juve always steal and uh yeah bottles were thrown People had to get in, in between them, separate them. It, I must say it was amazing when, again, following Inter in Singapore, hearing Inter fans who'd come from Indonesia and different parts of Asia in particular, who'd learnt the Inter songbook and were singing the Inter chants. That was amazing. Again, if you watch the footage from the, um, from the Inter Juventus game in Nanjing, it's even more pronounced. You know, it, it is to some extent a little bit like, like San Siro. So... Credit especially to the the Inter fans in Indonesia who are have a similar experience with Italian football that we do in this in the UK in that city. I was available on on terrestrial TV there, and so they're so much more familiar with it. And they have these super hardcore supporters who, as I said, made that trip. Who's the Indonesian James Richardson? <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. Maybe it's James Richardson. <laughs> um, that's why he ended up for twenty years. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, they brought their own choreography. Tried to try to mimic what the Kurvenor did. Yeah, it was it was uh, it was very good. So uh, props to them guys. Excellent. Uh, the the Leeds documentary, by the way, as we say, take us take us home is the title of it. It's not marching on together. No. I mean, well, this is it. Producer Abby has come up with a better one, uh, which is I Spy. Uh, I also thought you could have called it Don't Spy For Me Argentina or Marching On To An Opponent's Training Ground Without Permission or No One Likes Us and We Take Umbridge At That. Any of those would have worked. But anyway. And finally, finally, uh, if you thought footballers don't get paid enough, and let's be honest, with all, we've all thought that at one stage or another, what about footballers on Instagram? Uh, this is after the Influencer Rich List was released this week. Uh, we'll have some fun. You can try and work out who the top footballing influencers are. Uh, for context, Grandad, if you're an influencer... That's someone with a lot of followers on Insta. Companies will pay you to post about their stuff. The more followers you have, uh, by and large, the more companies will pay you to post about their stuff. It's all pretty baffling to me. But the most followed person on Instagram is a footballer. Do you know who that is, James? Well, I imagine it's Cristiano. It certainly is. He's got 176 million followers. Rafa, how much do you think he can earn for a single post? I'd like the figure in US dollars, please. I've actually looked at this in okay. preparation for the show, so maybe you should ask James. Okay, okay James. In dollars? Yeah. Uh, million dollars? $975,000 per post. Uh, in at number two, you know who the, who the second biggest footballer, footballing influencer is? Yeah, I'm actually trying to think. Uh, Neymar. Neymar is correct. 121 million followers. Did you see how much he gets per post, Rafa? 
was it 700 and something 758 722 yeah. per post and Messi's got 2 million but, more followers I mean, but gets I, less per post maybe I'm a bit cynical but how do these numbers come about I don't know the dollars are the actual followers <laughs> no, the, so. no well the followers we know but the, do, the, the, the numbers seem a bit weird it's like okay I will make this post for you but I won seven hundred and twenty-two thousand yeah, dollars from you. Yeah. Come on. Well, I think it's probably just an average, isn't it? Messi next on uh, six hundred forty-eight thousand per post. David Beckham is at number four. That's David Beckham who retired from playing six years ago. It's David Beckham. He gets three hundred and fifty-seven thousand uh, dollars per post, and I'm starting to feel a bit queasy at this. Fifth place, bit of an eyebrow raiser. Any idea? Another retired footballer. He's got 47 million followers and recently did a post about Bitcoin. Other cryptocurrencies are available and equally incomprehensible. Uh, to be honest, the only social media post uh, by a, a football past or present that caught my attention this year and, and has been seared into my consciousness ever since was the Eric Cantona egg one. Yeah. Yeah. So not, not I mean, I wonder how much he got paid for that. <sighs> Yeah, not enough. Uh, Ronaldinho, by the way, was number five. 256 grand for an Instagram post for him. I've got 345 followers. Uh, here's Matty D. Uh, any big company or big wigs listening, get in touch. I can help you increase your brand's reach to a whole new audience. Brackets, my mum. Well, now that we all feel a bit poor, it's time to work out how we can become influencers. We're off to take photos outside pretty walls on the beach and holding a can of water or whatever it is that influencers do. Thanks to Raf and James for your company in the studio. Listener, thank you for your company right to the very end. And if I could leave you with some passing advice, it would be this. Wear sunscreen. If only I could offer you one tip for the future, sunscreen would be it. The long-term benefits of sunscreen have been proven by scientists. Goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com and don't forget to check out our other football podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats. That's a little bit like life, really. And here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.